Welcome to the Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 38, Continuous Improvement and Telling the Truth About Yourself with Unout Harriman's. What a gift it is to get the kind of feedback that changes the way you think about something. My friend Anod Harriman's did that for me a few weeks ago and it was so helpful. I just had to share it with all my listeners. Anod is an executive consultant with a broad range of continuous improvement experience focusing on research and development and he has training in psychology and neuroscience. Anout Harriman, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Yeah, glad to have me. Anout, you and I have been uh, running into each other over the years many, many times, but I don't know that all my listeners know who you are. Um, I'm, I'm sure some do. But can you tell us about yourself? Tell us about oh, yeah. Anout. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, well, uh, Arnoud Hermans, that's me. I'm, I'm Dutch, so I'm from the Netherlands, Europe. Um, in, in the back, um, I have a, a consultancy. I'm a, so you call, standalone consultant, independent. Um, but I started my, my life as a, a training, as a stu- student, student in psychology. Um, quickly deviated from, from this, this uh, go lie on the sofa and tell me what you dreamt about last night uh, into a more neuroscience freak. Uh, did my PhD there and then went to work in the pharmaceutical industry and done a lot of projects. And then and one day I became part mental head uh, of the pharmacology research group there. And people started to ask me, Arnold, you know, we are doing all this research and that needs to sort of deliver something within three or four years. We have a project and so we need to come up with something. But we also like to do what we like to say as, a, as more fundamental research so that we are still at par with the academic world and that we know what's happening around us, not only by reading it, but actually doing it. Do you have capacity for us to do that? Well, being an industry, uh, I did not easily get uh, extra FTEs to get people sitting in the lab and doing what they call their hobbies. This is, this is not, that didn't go down very well. So what we did then, I decided to let's try and look at our work processes. Here Lean comes in and see what we can change and do more efficiently so that we can free up some capacity to do that more kind of fundamental research projects as well on the side without needing extra people. So that was the big driver of us trying to look at our research process, how we did our work and uh, to make it more efficient. But being a researcher, I didn't know anything about lean thinking, operational excellence. But luckily I was in a company and they were having uh, operational excellence programs in production and logistics. So I teamed up with people from there and they started to introduce me to this whole lean approach and the lean thinking and and taking ownership of your work and identifying issues and problems identifying waste and trying to change the process into becoming more efficient um i started doing that we did five as in the lab we 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 walked around um 
being uh, sort of checking on the status of 5S. And before you know it, we turned ourselves into the 5S police. And I said, well, that's also not what we want. So we try to move that around again into something like we are the 5S support team. Um, but what I noticed is that by doing so, I saw that people are uh, also personally developing themselves instead of just sitting uh, next to the to the coffee machine complaining about the work and way things are laid out they actually felt that they were able to make a difference and to make changes for the better for themselves for their processes so the work became more enjoyable uh, when I started to notice that I realized that maybe that was in fact for me full circle turning back to the reason why I originally started to study psychology because I wanted to help people and in a normal organization, I see that a lot of things that are around you are not helping you. And I'd like to, to start to create and help people to create in themselves an environment where they work in that allows them to blossom and to flourish again. And, and that was when I saw that and, and talking with people, uh, for example, I was standing with a uh, lab technician looking at a nicely organized closet with all the consumables very very tidy and with a kanban system everything was there and she said yeah okay that logic works great super yeah i said okay that's true but you know how hard it is to get to this point it's not something you do just in a blink of a second in a blink of your eye you have to really take time and spend hours on it to, to get that organized in a good way that works for you. And she said, yeah, yeah, that's true. But now I know how that feels that you can do this. And you see that people start to start to flourish. And then, then I said, okay, this is something I like to do in my own department, but I even like to do this more as a consultant anywhere in the world. So with any group, with any team. So that was the moment when I decided to start working on my own. And since then, I have done a lot of work uh, in implementing and helping people to become lean uh, within pharmaceutical industry, but also in, in, in chemical industry, the steel industry. Uh, I have worked in the dairy farm, so I do lean at the farm, if you, if you, if you will. Um, so it's very diverse and, and this diversity for me doesn't feel very diverse because it's always dealing with people and people are, psychologically very similar, whether they are in Indonesia on an IVF clinic or where they are on a dairy farm or in a steel factory in the UK, the, the struggles they are having, the feeling of not being heard, the, the difficulty of, of leadership to grant ownership and support ownership to their people in, in process improvement in doing that is universal. You see it everywhere, it's everywhere similar. And that for me feels that it's one thing that can be applied in many, many areas. And that's what I'm doing, what I'm enjoying to the max, so to speak. That's a great story. And and I love the how your story came full circle for you, studying with the psychology and the neuroscience, you know, doing the improvement and then and then seeing the impact on people. So I want to tell a story, Anot, about um, a conversation that you and I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, so you and I have a common interest in brains. You know more 
more about brains than I do. Um, and you, you have this wonderful background in psychology. So I was presenting a webinar and at the webinar, uh, I was talking about the impact of our brains on our ability to, to innovate and to support innovation in other people. I told a story about um, a former employee of mine who uh, came into my office one day with an idea and I reacted in exactly the wrong way to his idea. So this is a, a true story. It's a story I tell a lot. And it's a story I tell to um, to really highlight the fact that even if you are trained on how to react when somebody comes to you with an idea, which of course in a lean environment, we want to hear ideas and we want to encourage people to experiment with their ideas and, and develop them because that's how we learn. Um, even if you have had training, you could still react badly. And that's because of the way your brain works. Your brain is going to react faster to an idea that looks or sound sounds or dangerous to you than you can even realize. And um, so I told the story and went, you know, we went on with the webinar. And a couple of days later, actually right after the, the, the webinar, I got a message from you and said, Bella, you know, can we talk? And I said, Absolutely, because it's always fun to talk to you. So uh, we got together, we had some online coffee together and tell everybody what you said to me. Yeah, um, you, you know, you know what, 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 what always, always strikes, strikes me is that when people talk about as a leader, people come to you with an idea and how should you respond? And oftentimes you're sort of, uh, reaction immediate reaction is like you judge it it's negative it's positive you like it you don't like it it's almost that fast thinking of uh of, of uh, uh process that goes on in your brain and your brain is very quick quickly with that a very uh more primitive structures in your brain like the amygdala are in, involved in that and it goes very fast and it requires not so much energy energy especially when people are under pressure and work pressure is quite high these days and uh, it's late in the afternoon and you're hungry you don't have time to think it over deeply and you almost react from your gut instead of really thinking things through because in that discussion it will say yeah it's better to sort of open uh, be open about it and say oh tell me more can you give me your explanation where does it come from all that nice easy easy going uh, leadership approach but i was thinking if it was me being in that situation and i had this this feel like oh this is a stupid idea why what again he's number three with that same idea we're not going to do it i don't want to have it here how how am i going to inhibit that response within myself and be open and and as the, the sort of textbook leadership play the textbook leadership role which we'll probably know what what, what we need to do um, and i think the difficult part of that is to inhibit your uh, natural response and what if that was the discussion we were having what if you were able to to say to the person you know deep inside of me it's screaming no Everything in my body screams, no, don't do this. But I know that you probably thought it over. 
and, and, and we should have a discussion about why this is a good, a good thing. And I'd like to have the discussion, but I also like you to know that my initial response is no, but that is probably not the right way to go. So if you are able to put your, your feeling, what you feel in your, in your own body on the table, make that part of the conversation, it relieves you from trying to inhibit your first response, which is quite difficult. But it opens up the conversation as well because you show your emotion as well, what your immediate response is, and you are not trying to 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 um, sort of to inhibit that because that will shine through if you're not careful. I just had today in a conversation the same thing. Someone was wondering, a leader said, "You know, they are doing this process in a improvement uh, with an A3, working on that." Um, yeah, what should I do? Should I go and talk with them or should I leave them alone and let them have that ownership? Or should I sort of kindly approach them and say, oh, can you tell me what you're doing? But yeah, so she was really struggling with that. So inside she said, I have this, this conflict, but on the outside, she didn't show us. What if you would go to that person and say, you know, help me with this. I have this, on the one hand, I'd like to leave you alone and give you all the space you need. And on the other hand, I really like to see what you're doing. I like to support you. I think it's great that you're doing this. So I also want to sort of almost uh, sit, sit behind you and, and watch what you're doing. Uh, but I don't know, what should we do? What feels comfortable for you? So when you do that, you open up, you, you display your own struggle and you share that with the other person and you make it something for the both of us. And together you will find a solution. Maybe the person said, okay, now the next two weeks, I'm very busy with it. I'd like to sort of do this on my own, leave me. And after two weeks, we just have a chat, uh, coffee and talk it over and take it from there. Or maybe it's a person who will say, yeah, I was wondering whether you were interested or not because you never show your face. You never ask me about this. So maybe you you think it's waste a waste of time or, so, or something. You don't know these things. So you really need to open that up. But and by being that vulnerable with another person and saying, "All right, this is the, this is really what I'm thinking. This is the struggle that I'm having," then does that help them feel comfortable also sharing what their internal conflict might be exactly. about it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that that's how that goes. That that's how that it's, it's the same with an improvement board. I, I was <laughs> people were having this improvement board once a week and they were standing there and I walked up to them and said, Okay, how is it going? Well, yeah, we have we have all these kind of issues brought up and we come with solutions and uh, yeah, it's 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 okay. It can be a bit better, but it's it's there. All right, what, what does your manager think of this? Well, well, we don't know actually because he's never there. We think he's not that interested. He thinks it's it's not important or something. He's not very in, in front of what we're doing here. So I said, okay. So I went to the manager and, uh, and asked him, he said, yeah, you know, they're doing that, that once a week. Very good. I really like that. I leave them alone because it's theirs. I don't want to interfere. So I stay away. So, and, so and, people and, make up their own story then if managers exactly. not. But they say, well, he's not here. My story is he's not here because he doesn't care. But 
the reality is he's not there because he does care, but they've already made up their own story about it. Yeah. So when I said to him, well, the impression you gave, you give them is that you don't care. He said, I do care. So what should I do then? I said, just be there and then do what? Nothing. You just be there. Everybody know you have a business, busy schedule. And just by showing up for that 15 minutes a week, you give the signal that it's important and that's enough. And when he started doing that, he heard a lot of things that he wasn't aware of how the things were running in his department. And, and uh, that there was really good collaboration again with him. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so thanks. I want to thank you for that conversation because I'm going to add now to my advice when I talk about this story, because which for me is a really important story. Um, so what I do tell people, I didn't say what I do tell people is, when you're having that fight or flight reaction, you can actually feel it in your body, right? You may not be used to being attuned to that, but you're going to feel it in some way in your body when, when particularly when you're getting into the, you know, something that's being triggered by that, by that amygdala, because hormones are going to flow through your body. They're going to make your heart beat a little, little bit of fast, make your face flush, might make your, you might get a little, a little twinge in your gut. That's, you know, that's your gut feeling. Right. And what I have been telling people is this is when that happens, that is the time for you to step back and then, you know, to, to ask the questions that you should be asking. Like, it sounds interesting. Tell me more about that idea. But what I want to add to that advice now, um, after this conversation with you and out is, is when that is happening, you know, get attuned with your body. When you feel that happening, admit it to somebody that it's happening to you say wow i just i just had the the you know this sense that this is really a bad idea i'm not sure what's driving that yet and i just want you to know that and and then you know then that might yeah. even open up something on their part maybe they're worried to come and see you you know to tell you the idea you know that's I, I, I was wondering probably every every one of the listeners is sitting in a meeting or a conversation and you feel this you sometimes you get this awkward feeling a little bit uneasiness it's like i don't know what it is but it feels just feels awkward and chances are you're not the only one feeling that i bet everybody feels it maybe one person who's very insensitive doesn't feel it maybe that could be the person speaking all the time but the rest is like ah this is this is not happening i don't know what it is and the thing is that if you put that on the table and you you just say like i don't know is it is it me or is it something else but i feel a little bit uneasy here i don't know what's happening with the meeting right now i don't feel good energy it's like everybody's sort of i feel myself sitting here waiting until it's over and that is not why I'm in this meeting. I'd like it to be much more constructive and positive. And if you keep that remark to yourself, saying that I have the feeling, I, I sort of notice in myself that, that my mind is wandering in all kinds of directions, which you might have with the podcast as well. But if your mind is just wandering in different directions, speak up, make that part of the team, because probably more people are having that. And that really that's I think that's very good advice, and it's going to increase then transparency uh, across the group, right? Whether it's a team or, or it's just a group of people to come together, then people will feel more comfortable 
sharing their own feelings. But when that's happening, what is actually happening from a neuroscience perspective? Why do we get those feelings? Um, you know, an, une an uneasy feeling or a, a um, sort of the, that physical response. What's going on there? Yeah, there's 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 a lot of stress response uh, involved there. So there's a mismatch between what your expectation is and what's actually happening, and that that mismatch is is uh, is giving you that uneasy feeling. But what also plays a role there, and that's maybe more uh, a psychological process than it is directly linked to a, a neuro neuroscientific uh, approved structure. It's what we call cognitive dissonance. So you come to your meeting with an expectation with things that are going to happen and somehow the behavior you see you're doing yourself is not congruent to what should happen there's a dissonance between your expectations your ideas your beliefs of this meeting compared to what you're actually doing and that gives you a lot of discomfort and people try to mitigate that that dissonance by rationalizing it for themselves they're paying me well here to sit in this boring meeting. So if that's what they want, I'm, I'm fine with this. No, you're not fine with this. You'd like to have a better meeting with more, more things done, good decisions made, uh, people listening to each other. But that's not happening. And that dissonance gives you this, this, uh, this uneasy feeling. And, and, and yeah, and from... You know, from a lean perspective, from a plan, do, check, act perspective, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for when we're when we're having when we're in our check or our study phase of any situation that we're in, we're looking for what's the difference between what I expected to happen and what actually happened, right? Yeah. So yes. So it's actually it's a wonderful learning opportunity that you're pointing out to us. This is yeah. this is a lean or just a, not even lean. It's a learning opportunity. I expected this. This is what's happening. This is what I'm feeling. Okay, now let's see if we can understand what's what, what's causing that gap. Yeah, and then and then once you understand, it, make changes. Right. D don't right. stop. Yeah, I understand, but I'm not going to do anything. No. Then you need to really act. So the, the act phase is really important to put your ideas to the test and see whether they work or not. So how do you see this working in, um, you were telling us about, you know, working with a dairy farm or, you know, working working in, in heavy industry. How do you see this working in environments where people have been, um, I think, brought up sometimes to in a business sense, to be very formal um, and not talk about feelings at work. Uh -huh. how, how, how do you do, how do you manage that? Um, yeah, basically it, it's, um, it, it starts by observing and uh, seeing that people are doing something uh, which frustrates them. And at first you start in a one-on-one -on -one conversation and you sort of, notice that as you ah frustrating isn't it i i can see almost see on your on your the way you're standing here this is not a nice thing to do and it's happening again so you're trying to sort of make this this emotional reaction you have to how you have to do your work 
um, that it is like uh, okay to feel that, that that if I would do this and my computer has to sort of wait for three minutes until the system is starting so I can finally find the data I need, that's frustrating. So the, the, you, you could ask, you probably drink a lot of coffee because you have to wait so much <laughs> during the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you start to open up that conversation. And that is really what, what uh, triggers people. And then you see there is no, not much difference between people because people have these reactions to how they have to do their work as well. Everybody has that. And, and then you can also ask questions. Okay, what, what, what do you think should change here to make it easier? And all of nine out of 10 times, people have very simple solutions to, to make life easier. But you can you can really exaggerate the things that are causing frustration, and laugh about it and make it like ah oh, this is funny that you guys all have to work. Why are we doing this to itself? So make it light as well. Don't make it heavy, because when it's heavy, people feel whoa this is difficult. Keep mm -hmm. make it kind of playful, and that that opens opens up and gives room to possibilities as well. And that's a little bit how I approach it and what I see, whether it's, it's heavy industry, dairy farming or pharmaceutical, that really does not matter. Then it's quite similar. So you and I first met, I think, in the context of lean product and process development. Yeah. And, and um, you know, there's a, there are things that we do in creating a new, a new product a new process of creating a new um, product that I think sometimes look and feel a little bit different from the way that we might work in a completely sort of operations focused environment, though I always argue there's a lot of overlap there. What are your thoughts about the similarities and differences between product development and um, operations? Uh, there is a lot of operational work in product development to start. Oh, for with. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so so there, there the, the I call it then that the operational classic lean approach is is very valid. It's all about uh, reducing the, the normal things, uh, the waste from your processes. So um, that is by doing that, organizing your workplace, make sure you can find everything in the right place, uh, organize your folder structure so you can easily find your stuff, uh, get rid of all the uh, overwritten files and uh, previous versions, because sometimes your whole uh, directory is sort of filled with, um, <laughs> with old versions and you, you don't know where to find the, the most current one. So make sure you have that all organized. So these are all 5S-like approaches, all part of, uh, of your work environment. Um, but I also see very nice differences between, uh, between that. And uh, one is that um, for, for if you approach research and development in a, a lean way, it's really about trying to optimize the learning. And, and make the learning cycle as fast as you can. It's all about trying to get the information, ask learning questions. What, are the, what is the knowledge we're not seeing here? What are the gaps we have to, 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 uh, to close? Design experiments, uh, try things, try to build a prototype as soon as you can, even small parts, 
and put them to the test. So that is this Eric Ries, uh, the, the lean startup approach. The lean startup, well, yeah. Yeah, very well vocalized there. Um, what we see in, in R&D, especially when it is much more uh, in, in an organization, uh, money is also involved. So people like to know what, how long will this take, this new product to develop? How much will it cost? And quite frankly, we are sort of driving in the mist. We can, we can see so much ahead and beyond that, we can't see anything anymore. So if we are going to make a plan, we're going to develop this new product within uh, two years, years time with uh, cost, uh, gross cost of 3 million. It's a lot of wishful thinking. We don't know. And it's much more taking this step-by-step -step approach, knowing where we are, what are the knowledge gaps, how should we sort of close these gaps, what experiments do we know, do we have, finally have all the knowledge we need to build the product. It's this success assured moment. Then, then right. you can, that, and that's a very different approach from the classical uh, R&D situation where management is almost demanding for you to give a uh, prognosis of what the return on investment will be, how much money they will make, and what the development costs will be. And that is not something you can ask in a, uh, in a uh, R&D environment. That's a very difficult question to ask. And people will give you numbers, but they will make up a lot of numbers. And then- Well, the the, not will only come. will they, they'll give you numbers, but as you said, they'll make up the numbers and they'll spend a lot of time making up the numbers that they could be spent they could spend doing experiments. So yeah, yeah. a lot of that work that gets put on teams to you know talk about ROI or make projections about launch date, you know, things like that is work, is time and energy that they could be spending on actually developing the product. And you know, from an investor perspective, investors want and need to know that stuff, right? So there's mm -hmm. you need to have something, something in the middle and that is built on knowledge, isn't it? So, so if you're reusing knowledge, then you have a better opportunity to be to have good predictions about that. Yeah, yeah, and reusing knowledge that that making reusable knowledge uh, requires that you uh, look from a uh, uh, something you want to to understand. Not only so, I want to understand this for if you're in pharmaceutical industry for this compound. No, you want to understand how that mechanism works in a much broader perspective from the not active compounds to the very active compounds so that you can really understand how that factor contributes to the end product. But most of the time people, no, 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 this is with this project. We're only looking at this type of compounds. The others we're not interested in. We are not going to sponsor them. We only look here in a very narrow uh, field. And then the, the reusability of that knowledge is probably confined to that type of compounds only. If you want mm -hmm. to use it in other, in other areas with other types of compounds, you have to do a lot of additional research. So the reusability of your knowledge is not that high, but making knowledge reusable requires a little bit more uh, yeah, capacity to be spent on that. Right, is, which is where the operational lean comes into play, right? Because then if you can create some capacity to do a few more experiments and ex extend the boundaries of your knowledge, right? You know, so they, they work yeah. hand, hand in hand. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. So one one criticism that I've I've seen recently, um, and I have to say I really agree with it because it certainly is a, is something that that I've experienced in, at least in pharmaceuticals, is that there's a push in doing rapid learning cycles to do them to a particular cadence, and that in some cases that forces people into doing smaller experiments when the longer experiment is either needed in pharmaceuticals, for example, might be needed for regulatory reasons or, you know, simple practical reasons or or to extend that knowledge, right? So the concept of cadence of learning cycles, I think has to be looked at very carefully when you if you you decide that you want to have a cadence for your learning cycles, a rhythm for them, and then what that rhythm should be. And I was wondering what you what you thought about that about that that criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it it can be also a little bit uh, situation dependent. Uh, if I look at um, the preclinical research we did uh, at my former. Uh, pharmaceutical company, we were in pharmacology working together with the chemists. And, and that we were developing a cadence that they would synthesize a batch of compounds and we would test them. And it was like on a weekly base. They Each week they had a new set of compounds synthesized and then we test them and they get the results by Friday and next Monday they were working on the next uh, batch of new compounds. So that is a kind of cadence. We were sort of helping each other in every we we're working on optimizing our process to adhere to that cadence. So that was kind of a, a sort of a rhythm we were using as a future state. So this is how we want to work because before that it was like uh, chemists were just busy trying to, and when they had mm-hmm. compounds, they give us a call. Hey, we got the compounds ready. Are you ready for testing? Well, not just yet. We need to prepare ourselves. Then we start preparing. So there was a lot of waste happening over there. A lot of difficult coordination and things missed. People not understanding each other. Things not being ready. Uh, compounds not delivered. That was quite quite a mess. But using this cadence, this rhythm, helps you to get better processes. So in that respect, it really works. But yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it certainly always was an argument that that I ran into that people would say, well, you know, you can't do a three months tox study, toxicology study in two week cycles. And, you know, no, well, that's true. You can, you need to do a three-month toxicology study in two-week cycles, but chances are you've learned something in the past two weeks or the past week, right? So can you share what you've learned? Even if what you learned was, you know, something about the vendor that you're working with, because all of that knowledge is going to be helpful to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, so I'm kind of in favor of let's have a cadence for learning, but let's not force our experiments or our syntheses or whatever else we're doing into a cadence that is not, you know, biologically, chemically. And I'm sure in, you know, in, in other places, you, you know, a cow's only going to gestate once a year, right? On the dairy farm. You can't, yeah. you can't have yeah. them do that more frequently, no. right? No. So, so you are going to, so your learning cycles, you can have a learning cycle, but it may or may not be based on what the work that needs to be done, because sometimes the work is going to take longer, but that's a complicated, it's a complicated thing to explain to people. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the argument that yeah, but I cannot, I cannot uh, do a three-month talk talk study in two weeks. Yeah, that that's a, a that's a not a not justified reason to not think about cadence because cadence can also be a three-month cadence. It never, right. no one, yeah. no one said it need to be a two-week cadence, but it can also be that you see, you know, we might think about having uh, talk studies starting every month. There are three month right. studies, but every month we start one. So we're not batching up all the talk studies and do that in one uh, big uh, order to the zero. No, we have this cadence of every month, a new talk study comes out and after two months later. So, and every month we get results from, from the right. previous one. And then you get a cadence of preparing and analyzing and, you know, okay, within a month's time, we must be able to process all the data, get all the reports ready, because then the next results will come out. And then you also have a cadence without changing the three-month stocks, because you cannot change that, but you right. can build in a cadence in that way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Let's, let's uh, think about what you would like to say to a young person studying in their career? What, what is your advice to somebody who's just studying out? Um, that's, that's an advice which, which I uh, really uh, take to heart. And, and I heard it, uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts and in, in, in people in the, in the music industry. And every time what they tell you, if you want to make it in their business, it's you have to find your own voice, who you are as a person in your work, in what you do. Because um, if you know that, and there's only one person that can be, that is best at, at doing that, and that's you, yourself. You're the best person of, of being you. And trying to find that, and living to that and constantly reflecting of, is this, is this really me? Is this what I'm doing? Is this where my quality is? Um, build on that in, in, your, in, your, in your business. So if you're in, in the lean business and you are very good with numbers and you can really see uh, uh, connections and how things are, are, are hanging together number-wise, that's your strength. And develop that and make that your unique, what makes you unique. If, if, if me, for example, I'm much more, more into to the behavior part and understanding why people do what they do in, in context of their environment. So I try to make that bigger and build my, my work on that because that's what makes me who I am. And I try to be true to myself. And, and that's what happens in the music industry, but it happens also in, in the lean business, the lean consulting, lean coaching, or lean within a, within a company. But that's the that's, main advice. That's great advice, but that's a lifelong journey too, right? Isn't it? Because, oh, yeah. because yeah. when you start out, you have so many possibilities and things that people have told you about yourself, which may or may not be true, right? So. So finding that for yourself, and um, I love, you know, going back to your story um, at the beginning, I love just being um, aware of what really, you know, we sometimes, we sometimes say in the state floats your boat, you know, that you were looking for how people were feeling because of your training mm -hmm. in psychology, 
And when you saw that, that, that lit a spark in you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so pay attention to what's lighting the spark, right? That's, yeah, it exactly. might, might take a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also about observing yourself. What do you see yourself do? If you're, if you have time to spare, what do you like? What do you like to watch on uh, on the internet? What, what kind of things do you navigate to? What are the things that really um, make you tick? And these are yeah. the things you, you are going to do best. So find your own voice and be yourself because you're the only one who can be yourself. Yes, you are the best at being yourself. Yeah. Well, Anad Harriman, thank you so much for being yourself at the edges of lean. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. It was great being there. Thanks for the invite. This is Bella Enkelbach, and I'd like to thank Anod Harriman's for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. How do you share your real feelings and reactions with your colleagues? We'd love to hear from you. Find Anod on LinkedIn or at https colon backslash backslash www.y47.eu and start a conversation. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen. And tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbeck with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.